Amen. Thank you very much, Angie. Can we give Angie a big hand? I, I appreciate her so much and all that she does here. Angie does an amazing job at, at our church. So it is great to be with everybody this morning, everybody who's in the room. Great to be with you online as well. Um, we're beginning our Christmas series today, and, and I have to admit this feels a little bit strange. Like it, it's different, you know. We we have uh, you know we've decorated the the stage here uh, a bit, but man, like what a difference a year makes. You know, like I was thinking about this as we were getting ready last year and we were prepping for Christmas, and and now it's completely different. You know, things things this year are are totally different than what we might have expected, and 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 really like this year. This 2020 year, I think, has presented us with all kinds of things that we never, none of us, ever anticipated or expected in, in any kind of way. Um, I, I remember at the beginning of this year having all sorts of plans and ideas for what this year was going to look like and things we wanted to do and accomplish. And, and many, if not most of those, have kind of had to be altered or thrown out the window altogether with all that this year has brought. But yet, through all of it, God has still been here. He's still been with us. He's still been operating and moving in the middle of it. And, and we might not have been able to execute everything the way that we might have thought or the may, maybe, maybe the way that we had wanted to, but God is still at work and his plans are still unfolding. And, and so the, the title of our Christmas series for this year is An Unexpected Christmas. An Unexpected Christmas. And, and, and again, like I said, this year has been filled full of the unexpected for so many of us. And, and as I talked last week in, in my communion comments last Sunday, I, I talked about like many tr traditions that, that we have, especially around this time of year. And, and, and for us, a, a lot of those traditions may have been, uh, had to be postponed or changed or altered. We didn't go back and see family at Thanksgiving. Uh, we're still deciding whether or not we're going to for Christmas. And, and, and I'll tell you, like, even though this year's Christmas might look dramatically different from how we had thought or maybe the way that we had envisioned it to be, when we look back on, on the first Christmas, when we look back on, on the birth of Jesus, it was filled with things that were completely unexpected. And, and there's so many people that got caught up, unexpectedly caught up in the story of the birth of Jesus. And, and for many of those who were involved in that first Christmas story, like, they, they, were, they were caught completely off guard. They were caught by surprise by this miracle that was unfolding around them. And so in this series, we're going to be talking about some of the people that were involved in that very first Christmas, how, how their life kind of got upended and, and things happened in a completely unexpected, unexpected way for them. But not only that, how did they respond? How did the people that were involved in, in, in the, the first Christmas, in, in Jesus' birth, how did they respond to the unexpected interruptions that they ended up having in their life? And so this morning, we're going to be talking about Mary and Joseph, Jesus' earthly parents, and, and what, the, what the birth of, of Christ was really like for the two of them. Now, now to set the scene, and I know many this is familiar to, to many, but people had been waiting for centuries for the Messiah to come. Like, when, before Jesus came onto the scene, the, the, the Jewish people, they had been waiting for, for a long time, a very long time, waiting for the Messiah that had been promised to them for a very long time. And if you read through the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures, they are filled with, with prophecies and, and references and foreshadowings of the, of the Savior who was to come. And if you've been following along in our Advent guide, like that, 
the Advent guide that we sent to you is full of those types of stories that are, that are uh, prophecies or foreshadowing what was to come when Jesus' birth was finally here. And, and the people, again, they, they had been waiting for centuries for the Messiah to come only to be perpetually disappointed when he didn't. Like there was always a hope, of maybe, maybe Jesus will come in my lifetime. And then that lifetime came and, and went. And, and, and truth, truthfully, I, I would imagine that many had, might have lost hope at one point or another that the Messiah was ever going to come. Like they, they still believed the promises, but they had lost hope that, all right, is this actually going to take place here, here in my life? That over the years there had been false claims of, of Messiahs only to, to find out that they were a complete hoax, that Israel at the, at the time, they were under the thumb of, of the Roman Empire, the brutal Roman Empire, different religious tribes and, and factions they were fighting and, and, and really dividing the people. And not only that, God had been silent for 400 years, which was unheard of for, for the Jewish people. That, that had never taken place before. The, this 400-year this period is called the, the intertestamental period, where, where for nearly four centuries, God didn't raise up any prophets. He didn't speak. He shared nothing new with his people for 400 years after Malachi. This was, this was totally unheard of. Like, I, I would imagine putting myself in, in the, the shoes of, of one of the, the Jewish uh, people living at the time, I would imagine many of them probably thought, all right, has God forgotten about us? Is, is, he, is he still there? Did he forget the promises that he made all those centuries before? And again, many, many people, they still believed, they still held on to those promises of the coming Savior, the coming Messiah. But things, quite honestly, looked bleak. They didn't look very, very good. And, and like I said, many of them had probably lost hope in one way or another. Yet in the middle of this, the timing was finally right. In the middle of everything that was going on in Israel at the time, the timing was finally right for the announcement of the Messiah to come. That Paul writes in Galatians 4 that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. That there, there was a perfect time, and this was, this was it. That the Roman roads, like they had been connecting cities like never before. Greek was the common language that was spoken amongst most of the, the near, or most of the, the Western world at that, at that time. And, and the timing was finally right for the announcement of, of the one event that was going to, to change human history which was the birth of Jesus. And God breaks his 400 years of silence. God, like I said, he had been quiet. He hadn't said anything in four centuries. And he breaks his 400-year silence by appearing to an engaged teenage peasant girl from a podunk, podunk town called Nazareth. And, and, and if, if you and I were writing the story, we would have probably had God appear to somebody in Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem was the, it was the political, it was the religious center of, of Israel. Like that, that's, if, if we were writing the story, that's probably where we would have had God made the announcement of, of Jesus' birth, that he was going to be coming. Be, because it makes the most sense for it to happen in, in Jerusalem. It, you know, that's where it would have, Jerusalem is the place where it would have the most impact, where, where the most, it would gain the most traction, it would grab the most attention there. But that's not what God decides. He decides to speak to his teenage girl in Nazareth. And Nazareth, it was a nowhere. It was one of those towns, I don't know if you've ever been to a town like this, where you only would go there if you had relatives that lived there or you lived there yourself. 
Like nobody went out of their way to go to Nazareth. It wasn't a vacation spot or anything like that. And, and in fact, when Nathaniel, he, Nathaniel ended up becoming one of Jesus' disciples, when, when he heard Philip say, hey, Nathaniel, I want you to come see this, this man. I, I think he's the Messiah, and he's from Nazareth. Nathaniel's response was, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Like, and, and, it, and that kind of tells you all you need to know about this place where Mary was living at the time, that nobody bragged about being from Nazareth. It was, it was a nowhere. And to, to, to virtually any outside observer at the time, any of us, if there was cable news going on, all, all the pundits would have said, you know, God's probably got this wrong this time. Because it, it appeared that God picked the wrong place, the wrong person at the wrong time to announce the plan for the coming of, of his son. Like, everything seemed off. But, but just like Nazareth was a nowhere, Mary was also a nobody. She was just an ordinary peasant girl just living, living an ordinary life, having probably very unassuming dreams for what her life was going to be like. She, she was going to live a life probably very much like her mother's, and who was very much like her mother's. I, I mean, that there was just generational poverty that, that took place, and, and Mary was, was a part of that. Like, nobody knew who she was. No, nobody knew Mary's name except for God. And, and the fact that God chose Mary tells us something about tells us something about her. You know, there, there was something about, about Mary, that she had a very simple faith, that she, she had, she had a, a, an ability and a willingness to say yes to whatever it is that God was asking of her. But it also tells us, the fact that he picked Mary also tells us a great deal about God, though. That he could have, again, like I said before, he could have picked any, anybody at any point, anywhere, and yet he chose her. Like, God, how often do we see in Scripture that God moves in and among those whose society most often leaves behind? That's who God operates with. That's who God is attracted to. And God unexpe unexpectedly interrupts her life with the news that wasn't just going to change her life, it was going to change the entire world. And, and so Luke writes about this in Luke chapter 1. I want to read the uh, verses 26 to 29 for you. And it says that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, now Elizabeth was Mary's cousin. She was pregnant with who was going to be John the Baptist. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Like, I, I, I love this response just puts a smile on my face because when, when the angel comes and speaks to her, do you see what Mary's first response is? Luke, Luke records that her first response was that she was greatly troubled. And she, she wasn't greatly troubled because she had been told she was going to be carrying the Savior of the world. She wasn't troubled by that because the angel had not yet said that to her. She was greatly troubled because the angel said that she was highly favored, because that God was with her. Doesn't that seem like an odd response? That God said, hey, Mary, you are highly favored. God is with you. And she's greatly troubled by this. Like, I, I would imagine in her mind, this whole scenario doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, why would an angel come and speak to me? 
Like, God's been silent for 400 years, and now he's coming and he's talking to me? Like, I, I'm, no, I'm no Moses, I'm no Elijah, I'm no Isaiah. I, I'm, why, why are you talking to me? I'm, I'm who am I? I'm, I'm nothing special. I'm, I'm a nobody from nowhere. Like, when, when I read those words that she was greatly troubled, this is what comes through my mind, is that she's saying, God, this, this doesn't make sense. Why, why are you speaking to me? And this is what the angel says to her in verses 30 to 33. It says, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. He repeats himself again. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. They, the angel says, Mary, don't, don't be afraid. And, and if you read through the scriptures, that's, that's the most often thing that, that an angel says. When an angel appears, fear is the automatic response that happens. Because, and you'll hear this in a few weeks when we talk about the shepherds and, and the role they played. Like, their first response was fear, and the angel said, don't, don't be afraid. And Gabriel then, Gabriel spells it out for her. Says, you're going to be carrying the long-awaited Messiah. He's, he's gonna, you are going to be the one that's going to carry the Savior of the world and bring him into this world. And, and Mary replies in verse 34, she says, How will this be? How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Like she's completely confused. She's like, oh, how can this be? How can I? How can I give birth to the Savior of the world? Like, I, I'm, I'm not even married. Like, bear in mind, she's only 13, 14, 15 years old. She's, she's a young teenage girl. Like, I have a 13 and a 14-year-old. Like, I, I can imagine how confusing this conversation would be had an angel come and spoken to one of my daughters. Like, we can only imagine the crazy shock that she was dealing with. But she's saying, like, how can this be? I'm, I'm, I'm not married. I've, I've never been with a man. How, how, am I, how am I supposed to give birth to the Savior of the world? Like, this, this is heavy stuff for a, a young teenage girl to, to process, to take in. But, but what was her response? Like, did, did she argue? <laughs> did, did she, like, tell, tell the angel, sorry, you, you picked the wrong person? Like, did, did she get all excited that of, that of all the girls in the world that God could have picked, that God picked her, kind of like she won The Bachelor or something? Or, or did, did she get upset? Like, what was Mary's response? And we, and we hear it in verse 38. It says, she, she says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Like th this, this was her response. Lord, Lord, I'm yours. I'm available. I'm, I'm willing. God, use me as you see fit. That, that was her response. Now, now undoubtedly, she probably did not have fully comprehend and understand everything that the angel was telling her at this moment. Like, she probably could have pinched herself and like, all right, am I, am I dreaming? Did, did I hear, like, did I literally hear what I just heard here? Am I, am I hearing things correctly? Maybe she, she was questioning all that, but at the end of the day, her response, her response was a resounding yes. I, I, I'm in. Lord, wh whatever it is that you want, God, I trust you. 
And think about what that response actually means. Like, imagine for a moment what it is she was actually saying yes to. This 13, 14, 15-year-old girl. What she is saying yes to when she says, all right, God, if, if that's what you want to use me for, I'm, I'm, I'm in, I'm available, I'm open to you. What she was saying yes to was the shame of an unwed pregnancy and the social stigma that came along with that. That, that at this time, in, in kind of the, the shame and honor culture that she was in, like this was a huge deal. She, she would have she been completely ostracized, judged for being a, a, an unwed pregnant teenage girl. Like, she, think of what she was saying yes to, the, the fear of Joseph's response. Like, like, what, how, like, I have to share this news with my fiancé, with my husband-to-be. And how's he going to take that? Like, we know the rest of the story. She, she didn't know it at the time. Like, can you imagine what that conversation was, was going to be like? You know, she, she was saying yes to raising the Son of God. She was saying yes to raising the Son of God. Like, can you imagine that responsibility? Like, it, it's, it's hard enough raising normal human kids, but having the, the pressure of raising the Messiah, the one who has come, come to save the entire world, and it's my responsibility to raise him from a little boy, from a baby on up. Like, like what, what was it like when he, when he got a cold or got a fever? Like, the, the fear that may have come on her. Or when he was learning to use a knife, learning to use the, the tools in, in Joseph's shop. You know, like, what, what would it be like to raise the perfect son of God, having to have the talk with him someday? Like, can you imagine that conversation? You're like, um, yeah, Mom, I know. Like, I, I, w- I was there. Like, when my father made everything, like, I kind of know how it works. Or, like, having to tell him to stop parting the waters in the bathtub or breaking, breaking up fights between him and his, and his siblings. Like, can you imagine being one of Jesus' siblings? Like, you know, like, like Mom, why, why is it, like, I'm always the one that gets in trouble. How come Jesus is never blamed for anything? Well, he's kind of perfect, you know? But, but like, I mean, the, the pressure of raising, bringing up the Son of God, like, she was also saying yes to one day having to let him go. Like, think about that for a moment. Like, she knew the Hebrew Scriptures. She knew what, what the prophecies were about what the Savior, what the Messiah was going to have to go through one day. That she might not have had a full picture of what Calvary looked like. But she did know that the, that the Messiah was destined to suffer, was destined to die for the sins of his people. Like she was saying yes to one day having to let him go and watch him fulfill his destiny, what God had created him for. And in spite of, in spite of all of this, in spite of all of these costs, everything that, that was running through her mind, her answer was, God, I'm in. Yes, I am I, I, open, I'm available to what it is that you want for me. Like, what, what an amazing story. And, and, and then we come to Joseph, the, the man who was pledged to be Mary's husband. Now, now, the scriptures don't give us a lot of information about Joseph and about his life, but no doubt that this, this unexpected surprise hit him very hard as well. Now, now if you're married, like, think back before, before the wedding, before all of that, and, and you had, like, your whole life in front of you, and you had dreams and ideas and plans for what your life with your new spouse was going to be like. 
where you were going to live, how, how things were going to go, you know, how many kids you were going to have. Like, oh, you had all these ideas of what life was going to be like. Your whole life was in front of you. And in a moment, all of these ideas that Joseph had for his life, for him and Mary, were completely put aside, completely put, put away. Like, we, we don't know how that conversation happened when, when Mary had to finally come to Joseph and confront him and, and say, Joseph, um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pregnant and the baby's not yours and he's not anybody, else, anybody else's. Like, this is God's child. Like, imagine, like, I, there, there's sometimes that, that you wish, like, the, the New Testament writers would give you a little bit more information than they do. Like, I would love to have been part and, and party to know what that conversation was like, where, where Mary and Joseph are having this exchange about her being pregnant, and it's not his child, and it's not anybody else's, but trying to say that it was God's child. Maybe I wouldn't want to hear that. Maybe, maybe it was kind of a, a pretty heated exchange. I, that would be what I imagine. But, but guys, like, think for a moment, just talking to the men here, the men who are watching, like, put yourself in Joseph's shoes for just a minute. That you're getting ready to marry the woman of your dreams, and she comes to you and says, I'm pregnant, and the baby definitely is not yours. But that it's God's baby. Like, let's just be honest here, if, if we can be real for a moment. You'd probably think she'd lost her mind. Like, like what kind of idiot do you, do you think I am that I'm going to buy this story that you're telling me? Like, the, I, I would imagine that's probably what, what Joseph was thinking. Like, what, what an amazing shock this was to him. No, no doubt he felt betrayed. He felt alone. He probably felt very stuck. And that's where, where Matthew kind of picks up the story with Joseph here in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. That his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she, found, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in his mind to divorce her quietly. Like Joseph hears this news, they have this conversation, that she's pregnant, and he's got some thinking to do. Like, how am I going to handle this? Like, wh wh what is my response going to be that my wife now is, like, essentially shaming me in this way and, and probably in his mind he's making up this crazy story that an angel appeared to her that she's pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Like, he's trying to figure out how to handle all this. And, and we read in this passage that it says that Joseph was a man who was faithful to the law. Like, he was, he was a godly man. He knew the Hebrew Scriptures. And he was well within his right to take Mary before the elders of the city. And he could have had her stoned if he wanted. Like, if you think about the woman who was caught in, in adultery, like, he, he was well within his right to do that. You know, or, or he's weighing out, all right, do, do I do that? Do I, do I divorce her? Do I get my dowry back, you know, what I paid to, to be able to have her? And, but, he, but even in doing that, I'm still enduring the, the embarrassment, the humiliation of, of all this. And so he, he cooled down. He took some time to assess what he was going to do, how he was going to respond to all this. Um, perhaps he got some godly counsel from, from some people who were wise that he trusted. And, and ultimately, the decision Joseph makes is that he's going to do what's best for Mary. 
I think this, I think this says a lot about who Joseph is as, as a man. Because, let, I mean, just let that sink in for a moment. If, if you've ever been betrayed by somebody, let's be honest, our first reaction isn't usually, well, I want to do what's best for them. If somebody hurt and wounded me in this way, rarely are we looking out for their best interest. If, if we're honest, we'd much rather have them experience the same kind of pain, the same kind of humiliation that, that we've been facing ourselves. But instead, Joseph makes the decision to do what's best for Mary, what's in her best interest. He was going to divorce her quietly and not make a, a public spectacle of her whatsoever. And after he had made this decision, though, but before he went through with it, God decides to pay Joseph a visit in the same way that, that an angel came and visited Mary. An angel comes and visits Joseph. And we read this in verses 20 to 23. But it says, after he considered this, after Joseph was weighing out what it is that he should do, how he should respond to Mary, after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet, through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Like the, the angel begins, and, and really he calls Joseph the son of David. He's reminding him of his, of his royal blood, his royal ancestry, that he was from the line of David. The only other person in Scripture that's ever referred to as the son of David is Jesus himself. In verse 21, the angel says, she's going to give birth to a son and you're going to name him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. Th these aren't just like inspirational tidings that we put on a Christmas card. Like this was the promise that God made to send a redeemer to live among his people. He says, I want you to name him Jesus. Now, now back in, in Jewish culture at this time, like when a son was born, it was the father's responsibility to name his son. It was the dad's responsibility. He got to pick the son's name. And the angel says to Joseph, you're going to name him Jesus, kind of reminding him that this is my son. You're, you're stewarding him. You're going you're gonna to help raise him. But he is my, he's my son. And then, and then God reminds him of Isaiah's prophecy that the Savior must be born of a virgin. And, th and this is so key. That, like, I, I think oftentimes we can hear about the virgin birth and what does that actually mean. But it had to be so. Jesus had to be born from a virgin so that he could be free from the inherited curse of sin. That if he, if he wasn't born through the consummation of man and woman, he was free from the, the inherited curse, the inherited curse of sin in his life. That, that in the same way that sin entered the world through the first woman, Eve, salvation was going to enter the world through this woman, Mary. Now, I, I want to show you a picture I came across and I, this, this picture, it's a very simple picture. It's, it's, it's a very simple one, but, but I think it's very profound, and I really love it. it. It shows Eve and Mary together. Now, the serpent, if, if you look at it, the serpent is, is wrapped around Eve's leg here. It's kind of entangling Eve in this moment. But if you look at Mary, she's stepping on the serpent's head. And in one hand, Eve is holding an apple with a bite taken out of it. 
kind of the way that sin entered the world. And in her other hand, she's got her hand on Mary's, on Mary's belly. The way that sin was going to be removed from the world. Like, it, it, this picture shows both the origin and the elimination of sin all in, in one picture. I, I've just always, I've found this, this picture very fascinating. But, but in all this, so the, the angel comes, he speaks to Joseph, says, don't be afraid to take Mary. This, this, was, this was God's plan all along. And what was Joseph's response going to be to this? In verses 24 and 25, it says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. He gave him the name Jesus. In, in many ways, Joseph's response and reaction to this unexpected interruption was very similar to Mary's response. Like, God, God, I trust you. God, whatever it is that, that you're asking of me, I will do it. My answer will be yes. And, and many of the same things that Mary said yes to, Joseph was also having to say yes to. He, he was giving up his right to his own reputation. That, it, that if, if he reacted shocked and, and didn't believe Mary's explanation of the pregnancy, like, imagine what everybody else in town was going to think. Imagine, imagine what everybody else was going to think when they heard that story. Oh, no, 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 this really isn't my child. And it's nobody else's child. This, this is God's child. She's carrying the Messiah. Like, most people would probably think she was a loon. Like, he, Joseph was going to be a pariah among his own people. Because either he got her pregnant out of, before marriage, or because he allowed himself to be taken as, as a sucker. That she was carrying somebody else's child and and he wasn't going to do anything about it. That would have been the perception of most around them. This would probably affect his business. That if people, if people knew that he was, you know, kind of being shady with Mary and felt like he was lying about it, what makes them think that they could trust him in any kind of business dealing with him in his, in his carpentry business? In, in a lot of ways, Joseph was going to bear the shame for sins he didn't commit. I want you to hear this. Like Joseph, for, for, for many, many years, was going to bear the shame for sins he did not commit in the same way that Jesus was going to do the same. He was going to bear the shame for sins that he didn't commit. He was also going to father and raise the Son of God. And I, you know, I was kind of joking about, like, what would it be like to, to literally raise the Messiah, raise the Savior of the world in your house? having him run around your carpentry shop. Like, what would that have been like? Like, because in, in this time, it was going to be Joseph's responsibility to teach him the Hebrew Scriptures. Like, that, that, was, that was the father's job, to impart his faith to, to his son. Like, no doubt he taught him to honor others, taught him a trade, how to be a carpenter, taught him, taught him the Torah. And when Jesus was was at the temple, if, if you know the story, when Jesus was 12 years old, he's coming and he's teaching at the temple. And no doubt, in, in that moment, he, what he was sharing was supernatural. But those stories that, that Jesus was talking about, those things that he was hearing, Joseph was the first one to tell him those stories. Joseph was the one that sat him on his knee and read to him the Hebrew Scriptures. Like, he was imparting to this young man what the, the, the faith of of generations and generations for thousands of years. What did it have been? The, the sad news about Joseph's life after 
this interaction at the temple at the age of 12 for Jesus, we never hear of Joseph again. He's never mentioned again in Scripture. We don't know if he passed away, if something happened to him. Scripture's completely silent about him. That after the age of 12, we never hear about him in Jesus' life again. But man, what a legacy that he left for his earthly son. And so when we stop and think for just a moment about the unexpected story of this first Christmas, like none of it makes sense. Mary and Joseph, they were planning their life together, and then unexpectedly God steps in and interrupts their plans. You know, nothing in their lives went the way that maybe they had thought it it was going to go, and yet God had a plan through it all. God had a plan through it all. He, he took what looked like a very bizarre and backward situation and made it work out perfectly. So, so what was it? What was it about Mary and Joseph that they were willing to say yes to the unexpected, that they were willing to say yes to what it is that God had planned for them? Well, I think first they were able to have this response because they trusted God, because they trusted Him. They, they weren't just devout because they followed the laws and followed the rules. Like, if that was the case, like, God could have appeared to a, a Pharisee, a young Pharisee couple, and he could have been born through them. Like, it wasn't just about keeping and obeying the rules and keeping and obeying the law. That, that, that wasn't what set them apart. But they, they, had, they had a humility of heart that they were willing to trust God with absolutely everything. Like, they were willing to put their entire lives, their reputation, everything they had on the line because they trusted that God was good. They trusted that God knew what was best. Because God, God looks for those who, who are available. He looks for those who, who are willing. Regardless of what their, their social status is, regardless of, of their, the pedigrees, the degrees they have on the wall or anything like that, Paul says that God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and he uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. It's not, it's not the perfect who have it all together. But it's people who have a humble heart. People who trust God. And who God knows that he can trust them. Because there's going to be times that God asks us to do the unexpected. There, there are going to be times in our lives, and, and I trust that, that we've all probably had some of those moments where it feels like we had an unexpected interruption in our life. And we kind of have, we come to a crossroads in a way. Like, how am I going to respond to this interruption? That, that God has kind of laid something in front of me right now. What's my reaction going to be? How am I going to respond to this in the moment? There's going to be times that he asks us to do hard things, to do difficult things. He's going to ask us to do things that are out of our comfort zone. And I guess the, the question I would just want to pose to everybody here this morning, everybody who's watching us online, is what will our response be? What will our response be? Now, we might, we're not going to be asked to, to father the Savior of the world or, or to be a mom to the Savior of the world. That, that's not going to be our role. That's not what God is going to ask us to do. But, it, but there are going to be times that God asks us to do something. And, and am, I, am I willing to obey? Am I willing to do what God's asking of me, even if it costs me? Am I, am I willing to put my needs and my desires and my dreams aside for what God wants? Am I willing to be second? God, not my will, but yours be done. Am I willing to, to put myself second? Because faith in God and living out our faith, 
Like, it, it is the antidote to narcissism. When we live out our faith, it, it's, it's saying, all right, it's, this isn't about me. It's not about my life. It's not about what I want and what I think. But God, I'm open to you. I'm open to what you want. I'm open to live my life, allowing my life to be a living sacrifice. There, there's a beautiful song. I'm not going to even try to sing it. <laughs> but there's a beautiful song about letting my life be a living sacrifice. This year has been full of the unexpected. Like so many of the things that we dreamed and ideas we had and things we thought we wanted, so much of it has not come to fruition. But for all of us, I'm, I'm asking myself this question because this is something I've just been wrestling with. This, is, this has been a wrestling match in my head this entire year since March. Has been, am I willing to embrace the unexpected interruption? Am I willing to embrace it? And, and I'm not saying we're going to love every minute of it. Like, no doubt, Mary and Joseph, they didn't love every minute of what it was that God was asking them to do. Like, I guarantee you there were times that they did not like the journey that God had called them to. That it was hard. The insults, the looks, the whispers, the judgment from others, people calling them crazy, losing friendships, losing relationships. Like, the, there was a price to pay. And it was hard. Like, there, there were times, I guarantee you, they did not like the journey. They didn't like the call that God had put on their life. But I need to ask myself, am, am I, God, am I open to you? I'm, a, I'm available to you. I'm willing to do whatever it is that you ask of me. That's who God is looking for. That, that's what God wants to see in people in a church. That, all right, whatever it is that, that I ask, are you willing to walk? Are you willing to do something hard? In, in, our, in our reading this week, I think yesterday we were talking about Abram in, uh, in our Advent calendar. Like God said, all right, Ab Abram, I want you to leave this land, everything you've ever known, and you're going to go to a land that I'm going to show you. He didn't know what that story was going to look like. He didn't know where he was going to end up. But he was willing to follow God. He was willing. He was available. He said, God, I, I trust your plan for my life is better than my own. And just like Mary said, I, I'm, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled in me. Like that's, that's my prayer for us as a church, that, that God sent us his son, and Jesus surrendered his will, his desires, in his life because God had a plan. And God's painting a beautiful picture right now, and you're in it. You're in it. We are a part of this beautiful picture that God is painting. And he's looking for people who are willing to partner with him. That as a, as a church, as individuals, as a family, like, let's yield ourselves to the artist. Let's yield ourselves to the one who is painting this beautiful masterpiece, who's trying to make all things right once again. So if you would, just bow your heads with me and let's pray. Now, Father, we, we just thank you, God, for, for your incredible gift. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the way that, that your timing was absolutely perfect, that, that you knew exactly the right moment to, to enter into our world. Lord, that he was going to be Emmanuel, God with us. And God, that you worked through very ordinary people like Mary and like Joseph. They, they, were not, they were not superstars. There was nothing supernatural about them. They were just regular people like, like us who were open willing to be used by God. Lord, I'm, I'm so thankful for them. I'm so thankful, God, for what it is that you are doing in, in every one of us. God, that my, my prayer and my desire for, for us as a church 
that we would be willing to be second. That this life that, that we're living, it would not be about us. But God, it would be about the journey that you have us on, what, the, what, what it is you want us to do, the impact you want us to make in people's lives. God, you've called us to make a difference. And God, we just, we humble our hearts before you. We, hum we humble ourselves before you. God, we, we open ourselves to hear from you. God, what is it you want us to do? What is, what is the unexpected task, the unexpected thing that you have put in our lives? that we can partner with you and we can live out the plan, God, that you have for our lives. Father, we love you so very much. God, thank you for this Christmas season. Thank you for what we celebrate this time of year. God, that it's all about you. It's not about us. It's not about the, the gifts and all the other things. God, it's all about you. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, well, we're gonna take communion right now, church. So if you want to grab your, your crackers, your juice, anything you have with you right now. And, and as, I was, as I was preparing for our communion comments for today, I was thinking about on Tuesday, the first day of our Advent guide that we did, and we delivered everybody's house this week, and we included a bookmark in your packet, and this was the activity for, for Tuesday. And the activity on the bookmark was that we wanted you to think of five people that you would like to show love to, that you would pray for, that you can encourage during this Advent season. We ask you to just write their names on this bookmark. You can stick it in your Bible, wherever you wanted it. But that you would have five people that you're just going to go out of your way just to pray for and encourage during this time. We, we did this as a family. We talked it through as well. And, and I'm praying you did the same. And I, and I was thinking about, the, about it this week as it relates to, to Jesus and his 12 disciples that toward the beginning of his ministry, Jesus, he went and he handpicked 12 people. He said, I, 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 want, I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. I want to teach you. I want to share my life with you for these next three years. I'm going to share everything I have with you. And that's what he did when he called his 12 disciples. Every, everywhere that he went, like hundreds of people, thousands of people would come and be around. They wanted to be around Jesus. They wanted to hear his teachings. They wanted to be around him. But at the Last Supper, he ate with just the 12. He ate with just the people that he handpicked. They're the ones that he invited to celebrate his final Passover meal with. And, and I'm eternally thankful now that, that we're all invited to Jesus' table. That's what we're about to partake in right now, that, that it's not an exclusive club anymore, that we've all been invited to that now. And that's what we celebrate. That's what we remember today. But I, but I want to encourage all of us that those, the people that we wrote down, let's ask ourselves, like, who are we inviting to our table? Who are we inviting to be a part of our lives? Who are we investing in and encouraging and praying for and being a blessing to? Who are we communing with? And, and, I, and I get that that's going to look slightly different you know, now we, we not, might not have the, the get-togethers and meeting up with people like we always did before. But remembering that Jesus invited just a few people to walk and to eat and to grow with him. And that group, that small group, literally changed the world. So those people that you wrote down on your bookmark, I want us to think today, how can we invite them into our walk and into our journey with Jesus? 
and experience the life change that this, this juice and this cracker represent. So if you would, let's take part in the bread right now. Let's take it together. Thank you, God. Thank you for your body. And let's take the cup together as well. Lord, thank you for your blood that was spilled for us. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in and through each, each one of us, Lord. And God, I pray for our church, Lord, that you're going you're gonna to help us to, to recognize those people who are in our life, those people you want us to, to influence and to invite to our table as well. God, we want to invite them to be part of this journey that we're on together as we're walking towards you, becoming more like you. God, we love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to encourage you. Let's stand one more time. Let's worship together.